Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello, everybody. Welcome to show number 231 from Engage for Success. Um, I think it's going to be a bit of a magic show this afternoon. I hope so anyway, um, as you'll see in a moment when I, when I introduce our special guest. Um, I'm Joe jo Moffat, uh, host for today's show. I'm MD and founder of Woodread, and we work with clients and their brands to engage their audiences internally, um, creating high-performing cultures inside organizations using the um, tools and techniques that brand marketeers use, but using them with the um, employee audience. So, as I say, a little bit of a magic show coming up, um, I feel sure. Um, show number 231, and our guest for today uh, is Emma James. And Emma is a Group Employee Engagement Manager for Merlin Entertainment. Um, so, welcome to the show, Emma. Thank you, thank you. And uh, I guess for those of you who don't know who Merlin are, most people do, I think, in the UK at least now, we run um, all of the Legoland Parks, um, Madame Tussauds, Sea Life, as well as the big theme parks like Alton Towers and Thorpe Park. So some interesting uh, product areas for us to work with. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and a global organisation as well, which I think we're going to be talking about a little bit more as we, as we get into the session. So um, it's great to have you on board. And um, apologies for the cheesy puns, but, you know, sometimes it has to be done, <laughs> doesn't it, really? Um, so um, it's great to have you with us, Emma. But you've not always been on the employee engagement side of the fence, I believe, have you? So I'm just wondering if you can give our listeners a little bit of a potty biography of kind of, of you know, where you've come from to, to get to the role you're currently doing. No, that's fair enough. Um, so basically, I actually had my entire career in marketing. I mm-hmm. went did my degree in marketing. I then worked for various agencies. So I was actually not just in marketing, but I was agency side as well as opposed mm-hmm. to in-house. So wow. I, I developed that role and I started my own agency um, at 26, which looking back was really quite young to start an agency um, and then grew that and sold it into another. So mm-hmm. I got to a point where I felt a little bit jaded with with what I was doing I think that when you've been doing the same thing day out day in day out in an agency environment you're just ready for a change and this role came to me um sort of by accident through a contact that they were looking for a HR person and then evolved it and thought actually this role is more about communications and creativity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I've been in this role for coming up to two years now and I would say probably 70% of what I'm doing is marketing based um, but there has been a steep learning curve in learning the HR world and the HR side of things, and even the, some of the abbreviations um, yeah. to, to, to adapt those skills. Because at the end of the day, all that's changing is that the ultimate audience I want to communicate with is the employees as opposed to guests or the consumers. So it's just mm. adapting my techniques to kind of an internal approach instead. Absolutely. Well, that, you know, that, that obviously chimes with me, as I was saying in, in, in my introduction, in terms of what, what we do. So um, I was, that's why, I was, you know, one other reason why I was particularly keen to have you on the show, really, Emma. So, I mean, yes, the audience is clearly different. Um, but what do you think are the key differences? Um, are there, is there anything else other than that? Or, you know, there's particular, what do you think you've brought from your sort of external comms marketing agency side world to the role you're currently doing now? 
I suppose I, I can answer it both ways, really. I think the side that um, is quite different is definitely bringing into it a lot more consideration for policies and procedures than what I had mm-hmm. to do from a marketing perspective. If you were marketing mm-hmm. to a consumer, it was very much about creativity, about attracting that consumer. I have to pay a lot more attention to things like diversity, um, to policies, to timing. There's certain things that do have to be adapted a little bit more, um, mm-hmm. which can, I suppose, at times limit your creativity. And equally, it's really hard to pinpoint a return on investment on internal communications versus external. Right. We're quite, yes. we're quite decentralized as an organization, so it can be quite hard to be able to say, okay, these campaigns we're running internally are bringing us this. Whereas in mm. marketing, I've got quite an easy return on investment to show with profitability, with guest numbers. So that's probably Absolutely. the biggest differences. Mm. Um, and the similarities are probably more so. I find there's more similarities than differences because at the end of the day, the first thing I do is I try to understand my target audience, what they're going to want to see, what we want to get across. I stop and think about my messaging, my call to action, what it is I want to get across and which channels I want to use which actually mm-hmm. is very, very similar to the methodologies I was using in marketing. And, and interestingly, um, I've brought a lot of those methodologies of how I created a communications plan or a marketing plan and used them internally. And I'm finding other people in the team are using those same systems now to communicate things internally. Excellent. Absolutely. It's amazing, isn't it? This, this, this concept of putting the target audience first, thinking of your audience in the first place, you know, what do we know about them? What insight do we have? What's what matters yep. to them, what's going to make them tick. It never ceases to amaze me how often that kind of gets forgotten in the in the yeah. cut and thrust and the pressures of internal comms. It's like, got to get that out by Friday, got to get that out by Friday, got to release that bulletin or whatever. And Or not actually stopping to think, who's the audience? What do I know about them? How can I frame this in a way that they'll engage with it? So, yeah, um, and I think it's, it's especially true when choosing which um, channels you want to communicate with them for. So, you know, mm-hmm. for an organization as global as us, we don't have an email address for every person that works for us. If you work on a hot dog stand on one of our attractions, we can't get to you by email. So it's just mm-hmm. as relevant to stop and think about the channels which suit them and where they, whereby they can get this information. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, that, that leads us really rather smoothly, almost as if we planned it this way. <laughs> honestly, we haven't. Um, to, to talk a little bit more broadly about Merlin Entertainment then. So you touched on at the beginning some of the sites that people will know and will recognise in the UK. Um, tell us a little bit more about Merlin Entertainment as an employer. What's the, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Where, where are you sure. based? That kind of thing. So we've got just 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 under 30,000 staff globally. Now, I always say just under because seasonally it can vary. As you can imagine, we have peak seasons in different areas. And we've got over over 100 attractions now. So we most people don't even realize we have some ski resorts in Australia um, that we we've got Madame Tussauds and Sea Life across the globe, across Asia. We've got Legoland mm-hmm. in Malaysia and Dubai. So, so there's a lot more global than people realize i think and everything right. i do has to be done in 15 languages right. so yeah that's that's always a big challenge and i certainly don't speak 15 languages so i have to rely quite a lot of the time on some of the local teams for yeah. me not just translating but transcreating um quite a lot of what we do to ensure that it actually gets across to people in the way that we think it will so we have yeah. a very diverse workforce in both terms of um, different nationalities, different cultures, different backgrounds, but also in terms of different types of employees. We've mm-hmm. got corporate directors. We've got um, we've got people of all different levels and of all different backgrounds. And it can be really hard at times to get across a unified message. 
Yes. So we, yes. we spend quite a lot of time really trying to get to know them. You know, things like our annual employee survey help us understand what, what they buy into and what they can see. But mm-hmm. equally, I think, I think one of our biggest challenges is that most people don't know Merlin. They would know Madame Tussauds or Legoland. They would know that consumer brand. They wouldn't necessarily know our employer brand. So that's something that's been a huge project for myself and our global head of resourcing to really try and drive forward a Merlin employer brand. Who are we? What promise do mm. we make and what expectation can people have of working for Merlin globally? Yes, yes. Because I think, I guess that's very similar. I mean, from a consumer perspective, they're very familiar with your brand. They're very familiar with the parts mm-hmm. that they might visit or the place they may go to on holiday, um, but less familiar with the overall group um, organization I guess and um, yeah what was that was that the biggest challenge that faced you when you joined the organization Emma that's a really good question I think probably there were two big challenges the first one was the language uh, and mm-hmm. coming from a marketing agency background I didn't necessarily have that global exposure so that mm-hmm. was a, an interesting one to understand I could get translations done but it was very easy to have something misunderstood but yeah. then the second one would be those consumer brands. And in both a positive and negative way, because people are so proud. I mean, for example, Gardaland, one of our resort theme parks in Italy, there is such a family institution. People are so proud to work there. But you also don't want to take away from that by trying to put Merlin in too much. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we want people to realize that Merlin gives them a much more global career opportunity yes. Um, yes. and what they're a part of and to be proud to feel a part of that so it's little things like our induction materials and our benefits materials that will reinforce that Merlin brand and help them understand the bigger picture that they're a part of mm-hmm. okay and and we're talking our the title of our show is, is how you go about or how you've gone about or how you are going about embedding a yep. culture of fun across yep. this global organization so where where does this um Tell us a little bit about the concept of this culture of fun, Emma. Okay. Well, eventually, just before I started in this role, um, a couple of years prior to that, they brought in some values. Um, and those values are around things like we care, we are innovative and fast moving. But the last one of those and says, and we do it all for the love of fun. And essentially, right. it's about, this is not just about us having fun. It's about us having a role in our guests having fun. Mm-hmm. When I've been looking at our employer brand work and talking to people in all different roles in the business and saying, what makes you proud to work for Merlin? So many of them say that they can see their role in that child's smile or that family's day. So we do everything for the love of fun. So therefore, we need to have fun in what we do. Right. So it, it can always be a challenge because you've got to be very careful not to be condescending and not trying to force fun on people. So we tend to do it more in just our tone of voice, how we put things across. You know, we're mm-hmm. always going to do something a little bit different. Our inductions are nearly always held at a theme park, even if you're a head office member of staff. In my induction, I was building Lego um, and I fed some sharks. So everything we do, we just try and bring that little angle into it. And, and I was mm-hmm. speaking to one of our team members who is in audit and finance. And I said, look, how do you feel like you see the fun? And she said, well, in no other, in no other job am I auditing penguins year on year or finding out how much it costs to buy the materials we need to buy to, to help save a seal. You know, there's, there's so many different things about what we do that even if you're writing an Excel spreadsheet, there's something in there that will capture your attention. Um, yes. So we've really embedded this, this slogan of for the love of fun. It's on everything right. that we do. It, it's kind of out there, both for us, but also really for why we're here to begin with, to help our guests mm. have that fantastic, memorable day. Mm. So I suppose, I suppose if we think from an engagement success point of view and the four enablers that we talk about in terms of 
what what an organisation needs to have in place in order to help to create an engaged workforce. The fourth one is about there being no see-do gap. In other words, our values are more than just words on a poster. They're more than just words on the wall. They're followed through in the behaviours of everybody, whether it's the newest recruit or the the most senior member of the leadership team. There's a consistency of um, us doing what we say we're going to do. in terms of our interactions with our peers, our colleagues, and in your case, your customers, and so on. And do you, do you try and do that as well? as it, it, Obviously, you've talked about tone of voice being an important way that you bring for the love of fun to life, but do you, is it supported in a behavioural way as well? Where yeah, I think it's still a work in progress with us, and I think that's something we're really working on, is, is what are those demonstrable behaviours? But it's very mm-hmm. much part of our day-to-day life. We call our values the Merlin way. It mm-hmm. is everywhere. It's even in the carpet in the HR office at Alton Towers. You know, it's, it's everywhere and people know it. What mm-hmm. we then do is try and link that into everything we're doing. So we will link it back to our PDPs and our performance management and, and look at the, how they're living and breathing the values. We even have it in our peer-to-peer. So we have something called STAR, which is a peer-to-peer recognition scheme. And mm-hmm. every single STAR that is sent has to be marked against a value. Okay. So that person's star has come through based on one of those seven values. So they've either done mm-hmm. it for the love of fun because we care, which obviously is our charity side quite a bit. So mm. it really is sort of integrated into the day-to-day living of what we do. And it's yeah. one of those few things as a global organization. If you ask people, they, they, they know the Merlin the way. They know how it works. And mm. they know what yeah. that means for them. Mm. So you talked about induction. You talked about you know, building Lego and um, feeding penguins, I think, didn't you? Um, yeah. And you've talked about recognition. Um, how, how else do you go about embedding that culture of fun? I think we have another we have another big thing that we do every year called the film competition, which is a really great way of understanding not only understanding what our staff think, but giving them a voice. So mm-hmm. every year they have an opportunity to enter a film around a particular subject. Um, This year, it was five things we love about working for Merlin or five things we love about what we do. And the Mm -hmm. video entries are just incredible. What some of our teams come up with um, in order to show us that we had like a Lego animation done. Um, The Shrek team in London came up with this incredible story. So it's another way of them being able to have a voice um, and get that out there. And that's even voted for by themselves. So we shortlist them to the top 12 and then Mm -hmm. there's a voting platform put up. So we know we don't dictate that winner. That winner is chosen by that uh, by those teams themselves they can vote so little Mm. things like that I think are fantastic um Mm -hmm. across the board of what we do even our team briefs um will always inject a little bit of something and I went to um one of our sea life parks recently because I try and get out there and and see what it's like to be able to speak to these people kind of right on the front of house Mm-hmm. And they, they had um, in their team briefing every week on a Wednesday, they called it Wonderful Wednesday. And every Wednesday, right. one of the aquarists would come in and tell them about one of the creatures. And then all of the staff would go around and see that creature. So every single time we do something, we seem to inject something a little bit different into it. Um, yeah. And that's all it takes sometimes is just something a little bit quirky. It could be, mm. you know, cupcakes at the at the team meeting instead of biscuits. It could be um, across. We've actually had um, little playing cards done with for the love of fun things on them in the past. So we've there's a lot you can do to inject some fun into things without it having to cost you an awful lot of money. Well, that is the million dollar question, of course, isn't it? And, <laughs> and very often it's about actually stopping and thinking, isn't it? Yeah. And actually just taking the time to think, well, how can we do this differently? How can we just tweak or nuance what we're doing what we were going to be doing anyway how can we nuance it to make it more aligned with that the the Merlin way and the love of fun I guess and and how long has this been 
going on, so to speak? So the values and the For the Love of Fun now must be about six years, I think. Um, it was our, mm-hmm. our global HR director, Taya Kalani, before, before I was here, um, was really proactive with the values and really ensured mm-hmm. there was something we lived and breathed. But what's really important is she also, from day one, ensured that actually our, our, our top executive team we're also really living and breathing it i mean i think we've got we've got a great story right. one of our mds um, one of our managing directors of one of our divisions he started his life as a mascot on one of the sites um, oh, and he's now uh, md of one of our divisions and he still had the mat we changed our offices to open plan recently he still had the mascot head um a little silly <laughs> things you know you walk you walk into our call center and there's a waxwork of robbie williams in the middle of the call center desks so i think it is just it's just somehow embedded in what we do even our meeting room mm. names are crazy our meeting mm. room names are called scream and cheer you know so it like i said it doesn't have to cost a lot of money it's exactly what you just said it's giving it the opportunity to have a bit of thought and to put yeah. something in that represents the brand at every touch point you get an opportunity to yes okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna um tip it the other way now we've, we've talked about some you talked about the challenges that you you saw things like language of course and the, the group versus the individual sites and needing to get that balance right um but i guess um there must be some aspects where you where you look you could look back and think actually that didn't quite work we maybe took the fund if you know have you ever taken the fund too far and it's backfired or is it, or are there ways you've tried to do it and you thought oh actually no we need to do that differently next time you know what what kind of lessons have you learned along the way it's a really good question and you know what when you're in it every day it's really hard sometimes to see that perspective and I think you picked out a couple of things there's definitely an element of the Merlin versus the consumer brands there's definitely a challenge with global at times and what I found also is when I'm putting something out there say take for example Asia I've actually never traveled around Asia although I have traveled a lot of our other areas Mm. I can find it hard sometimes to work out um when we do our survey, for example, they can often feel like they have to answer positively um, because they're looking at us as the head office and hierarchically thinking they need to answer positively rather than being open and honest. Uh Um, And also um, some of our um, survey questions, it's quite easy to find that something can be misread. For example, the word pride, so I am proud to work for Merlin in Germany, can be quite a negative term. So it's taken a little bit of of speaking with our local divisions and really engaging with them and having conversations with them to understand where we need to be flexible. We can't always mandate everything. We really do have to have that local flex, which has been a massive learner for me to understand quite how much we need to flex so that we don't seem to be too much of um, a UK-centric business because we've Mm -hmm. been criticised for that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so until it happens once and you get that feedback, as long as you're changing immediately and adapting what you're doing with that, I think that's okay. But that can be our challenge sometimes is coming across a little bit too UK centric to some of our other right. sites. Right. And, and, and understanding the cultural nuances of the market in yeah. which you're trying to operate. And I guess that really Absolutely. means you, you as a, as a global um, engagement, um, you have to really have a good relationship with the people on the ground locally and, and trust their judgment. Absolutely. And our HR teams locally in each in each region and on each attraction are incredible. And I can mm. pick up the phone to my engagement champion there or to the HR director there and really kind of get a picture of what's going on. But usually something might only come up once it's happened. You often find that once something's put out there, that's when you get that feedback and that knowledge. So I've yeah. spent the last sort of 18 months, two years, really focused on building those networks. And I've also developed... Um, Compass, which is our employee engagement steering group, which isn't just HR people. It's a mixture of 
of divisional directors, marketing, and I can just run something by them and see how they think that would fit in their region or in their brand or in right. their functional group. So that, that uh-huh. really helps. For, for example, I've been speaking with our head of global engineering who's given me some really unique insights into how we engage with the engineers slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, just having those conversations seems to be the best way to get that. Absolutely. And and you were talking about how you can't obviously just translate from the UK in, in, in cold yeah. turf, but you've got trans-creation um, concept. Um, do you do you get that done at a local level as well to make sure it, it's going to work? Or? So it's, it's, it's dependent. Sometimes we'll work with um, a translation partner company to help us do it because it's just putting more work back onto the local teams. If I mm. can provide them with, with a rough translation or a rough transcreation that they can then approve, that's better. But I do have to mm. bear in mind that dependent on the region that you're in, so different regions of Japan, different regions of Germany can actually read some of the language differently. So we do rely on those local people. Yeah. It's quite surprising. I mean, it's not so true in the UK, actually. You know, most things are read very similarly. But actually Mm. in different areas of the same country, something can be read quite differently and can be quite regionalised. So Mm -hmm. it's taken a while to realise that and to now give them the local flexibility. So I I try my best to provide templates rather than PDF artwork, for example, that allows them to have that local flexibility. So things like our action planning templates after the survey allow people to have that local flexibility to adapt the wording and adapt how they do it for their audience and even adapt perhaps the photos that are on it. Um, to ensure mm-hmm. that we're covering all different bases. You know, we've been criticised in the past for not having enough ski images on what we do. So it makes some of the Australian teams feel alienated. So I try and right. now give them the flexibility to, to adapt that themselves. Right. Do you know, I have to say, I was going to say this earlier when you mentioned about skiing in Australia. I think that must come as a surprise to a lot of people listening that um, there's actually skiing holidays and skiing resorts in Australia. It's not, not something that one immediately <laughs> thinks of, is it? No, it isn't. And of course, their seasons are the opposite to us. So when we're at peak season in the UK at things like Alton Towers, Thorpe Park and Chessington, they're it's total opposite peak seasons. So it can mm. mean you can quite easily leave them out of something because then not the seasonal team aren't there. So yes. a lot of the time we do things like our employee survey. We do it at peak season across most of our resorts, which means we don't always get all of the seasonals from our ski people um, included in that. So no matter right. what you do, there's always there's always going to be something that you're not perhaps quite hitting on. And I think that's probably my biggest challenge, being such a global organisation. I wish I could do something personalised to every single group and every single individual in the business, but it's just not mm. always possible. It's not possible. And, it's you know, that's one of the things that, going right back to the comparison between external and internal comms, mm-hmm. um, certainly external marketeers are increasingly segmenting and segmenting and segmenting in terms of their audience and they're able to do that almost down to the personal online ad that appears because you happen to look at a particular product um, at a website 30 minutes ago that product follows you around for weeks on end doesn't it but you can't can't do that internally it's it's not practical and b it's not appropriate um uh, so you you have to make some judgment calls there i guess and so you you talked about the survey uh emma um so how 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 do you how are you developing in terms of the extent to which you are embedding a culture of fun? Are you on an upward curve with it? Yeah, I think um, we don't really judge our survey based on are we embedding a culture of fun. It's a little bit more about that's when we do go back a little bit more to the more traditional questions of understanding uh-huh. whether they feel they're being heard, whether they feel like they we really do deliver these experiences for our guests. 
So we tend to go back to the, the slightly more um, traditional engagement questions because that gives us a much better gauge of what's actually going on in that business because they might well feel like they're having fun, but fundamentally they may not feel like their voice is being heard or that they're mm -hmm. being recognized. Um, mm -hmm. So actually on the whole, our employee engagement is very, very high. You know, we're getting really mm -hmm. high scores and really high EEI. Um, and then we work on particular areas. For example, for us, an area to work on is people needing to understand that there is a global op career opportunity. Right. Um, it's quite hard for people outside of the UK, for example, to see those global career opportunities. So they're some of the areas we're very aware we need to work on. Um, and mm -hmm. then it just tends to be down to really the local nuances. So we know um, that some of our sites have more engaged staff than others. And that's usually because a leader is changing, for example, in the business. Mm -hmm. um, or because of what's going on within a local culture. For example, our scores in Japan are nearly always lower. But then if you benchmark yourself in that area, most companies are, have lower engagement scores in that area. So it's really hard globally to actually give you trends. It actually tends to be quite individualized to particular regions or attractions. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, yes, I can see that. And so in the relatively low score in Japan may, be, may actually be very good because it's actually compared to what it was going to be, yes. what it had to be. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. Benchmarks, we still perform high, but compared to our mm. other attractions, it looks like mm. an area of concern when actually it might not be. When actually it may not be at all. Okay. And and let, let's just finish. We've got five minutes just left okay. to us to talk, perhaps broaden it out again. So, yes, of course, um, for the love of fun, it is absolutely un, you know in, integral to what you are about as an organisation. It's integral to your customer promise, isn't it? You know, that's what people come yes. to your places and sites and resorts for um god knows you know why on earth would you go if you weren't planning on having a great day out with your friends and your family after all um but that's not going to work for all businesses and even in your business it can't all be about fun 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 all the time because you're you know you've got to run a business you've got to make a profit you've got to deliver to, to shareholder return so let's just broaden it out a little bit if i'm listening to you talking and thinking yes but fun doesn't really fit with our cultural it isn't really a cultural fit with our brand in my business. What can I learn from what Emma's talking about? Um, can you just give me a few top line um, pointers for people to take away? Sure, sure. As you're saying that to me, I'm sort of thinking about what you're saying. And I think there's probably four different things I've sort of picked out here. And that's no matter what your organization is about, it's linking it back to that guest objective. So our guest objective is to deliver memorable experiences. So whatever your objective is for your customers as a business, as long as you're linking everything back to that. So the reason ours is a culture of fun is because that's a part of our guest objective as well. Sure. So I guess mm -hmm. it's just linking those employee um, uh, slogans and objectives and reasons back to your reasons to be working with your customers, um, mm -hmm. regardless of what that is. And also with that, linking yourself back to your brand. Um, I've spoken with um, all different people across different businesses, and it's actually more about um, bringing those brands back into it. So, for example, for us, if we hit our KPIs, which, by the way, are also very guest-focused KPIs, not just numbers-focused, so they're guest-experience-focused, their mm -hmm. reward would be something to do with our brand. So they'd be able to, for example, at Chessington, if they hit that, they have a party at Chessington. So right. using your own brand to pull it back around, you know, and we have, you know, one of our biggest benefits is the tickets that you get when, you're, uh, when you work for Merlin, you have tickets. Mm -hmm. And you can go and experience the other um, the other. Uh, sites the other attractions so actually i find so it's probably two things first of all is link it back to the guest objective and secondly use your brands bring your brands back around right. um, and 
even make your KPIs as focused as they can on something fun. So although, yes, we have productivity and profitability objectives and KPIs for each attraction, we are very focused on that guest experience and what guests are saying about us mm-hmm. to try and pull it back around to that. Right. Um, so right. I think probably the fourth one then is just to allow for that, that, go back to that local flex, what is fun in that particular culture? So, for example, in some of our Asian sites, it's less about them having fun on their site and more about the fun they put back into their local community. So for me, it's very much understanding what fun is to that site and what to them is fun. Um, You know, even down to recognition, public versus private. Some of them love Mm -hmm. having a massive party for the star of the month winner. Others, Mm -hmm. that would be their worst nightmare. So it it has to be about what works for your organization, your businesses, whether or not you're an airline or a charity, you can still bring your brands and your um, philosophy into that. Yeah, yeah. So it's about actually translating, going back to using that, that kind of concept again, it's about translating what does fun or what does your brand essence or what does your brand mean um, to your people uh, in their particular uh, environment, whether it be a country or whether it be in their particular team or function area um, or, or role and making it relevant. Um, absolutely yeah and you touched on something there it could be their brand it could be their function it could be their region and people often forget the function part as well Mm. um so what engages and is fun to to an engineer could be very different to a marketer Uh, i live with an engineer so i can say that um (laughs) so it can be quite different yes yes no absolutely um no i i can see that so okay so so if we were just just finishing off very quickly and to say what what, what's next? You know, what's on the what's on the agenda for 2018 as far as you're concerned, Emma? For me, it's probably three things: launching our employer brand and really making sure that works both internally and externally. Um, mm-hmm. We're also putting in a new HR IT system, which is going to be a massive project next year. Um, right. And on the employee, yeah, big project. So, and on the employee engagement side, it's really for me focusing on those really high scoring and those challenging areas, and really trying to look at what we can learn from each other. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Excellent. That's lovely. Um, well, good luck with all of those. I mean, certainly the one in the middle um, is, is an interesting one, a new HRIT system. It's amazing how many clients I'm talking to at the moment who are going through exactly that same process. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's certainly the flavour of, uh, of, the, of the year, I think, at the moment. So, um, Emma, it's okay. been great to have you on. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I think our listeners will have found that fascinating. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening. So it just remains for me to, to say good night. Um, good night, Emma. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for, for listening. Good night. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. 
That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 